0: This story is brought to your ears by all our fantastic supporters on Patreon. To get in on the action yourself with bloopers, extras, and the occasional early story, join us at patreon.com voiceofallmtg. We'd like to thank our newest patrons, Sage Stafford and Raymond Vandenbroek, for already donating. For more stories or just a chat, visit voiceofallmtg.com. And now, Voice of All presents... Return to Dominaria Episode 7 Teferi walked out to the beach before dawn, to where he could see Zalfir reflected in the sunrise. He wasn't the only one. If you stood in the right place on the shoreline, if the weather was just right, balanced between overcast and bright sunlight, the ghost of Zalfir's coastline was visible. The translucent, gleaming towers and domes floated as if on clouds above the sea. It was a pilgrimage still made here by many inhabitants of Femeref and other parts of Jamura. Some came to honor ancestors lost when the rift occurred. Some came out of historical curiosity. This morning, several groups stood on the beach, solemn and silent or talking animatedly as their children played in the surf. Others stood alone, like Teferi. He kept his distance, though the chances of him being recognized lessened with every century that passed. His own aging was now a slow process, but he had already long outlived his mortal enemies. The nearby town of Sewa had benefited from selling supplies and lodging to the Zalfir pilgrims, and Bustled with activity all year, though Teferi only came in the cooler months. He had been wandering for the past several years since the Mending, exploring Dominaria, but never feeling the urge to settle down. When he had paid for his room in the hostel, the proprietor spoke to him.
1: It must be a trial, to be named after the Destroyer of Zalfir.
0: Destroyer of Zalfir? That's a new one. His explanation was well practiced.
1: It's an old family name, and no one wanted to offend my great-grandmother.
0: The proprietor had nodded sympathetically, and that had been that. As the day's heat rose with the sun, Teferi walked back up through the dunes, the wind pulling at his blue robes. He took the path to the road and passed more pilgrims headed toward the beach. Another group with children, two women, and a man walking alone. and nodded absently to them as he passed. The road ran along terraced fields and reservoirs, which gave way to garden plots and shade trees, and then went through the open gates in the town's outer wall. The market plaza bustled with activity, with stalls under colorful awnings selling all sorts of food and drinks and trinkets to the pilgrims and locals milling around. Most of the crowd had the dark or brown skin of Femeref or Northern Jamura, but there were a few travelers from other parts of Dominaria in the crowd. Sewa was a good town to visit, and the oldest quarter had mosaics in its plazas and columned houses that reminded Teferi of his old home in Zalfir. Teferi wasn't sure why Zalfir had been so much on his mind since he'd given up his spark, Guilt, surely, but he knew he had done the right thing. Zalfir lived on, separate and protected from the forces that would have devastated it. Except lately, that thought had begun to feel self-serving at best. It had been the right decision at the time. Now, he was no longer sure. It's not as if you can do anything about it. He was weary with this internal argument. His planeswalker spark had been needed to repair Shiv's time rift, to prevent devastating destruction. And he had no power now to return Zafir. He found his way through the maze of streets, the high stone walls of houses to either side, passing the gates that led into their lush garden courts. As he entered the public fountain plaza, he saw two figures sitting on the low stone wall near the door of his hostel. Teferi kept walking, kept his face and body language neutral. Not many people outside of the new mage academy in Talaria West knew who he was anymore. After Shiv, he had avoided using magic, had moved from town to town in Jamura until he had outrun his reputation. No one here should know he was that Teferi, the Time Mage who had stolen Zalfir away. But he still had old enemies who wouldn't mind seeing him dead, and possibly new enemies. There were rumors of the Cabal gaining strength outside of Otaria, though no one was quite sure how or what had spurred their resurgence. As Teferi reached the hostel's covered patio, the two people sitting near the door stood up to confront him.
2: They say in the market that
0: you're called Teferi. They say a lot of things. She was a very lovely woman, with strong features and a confident bearing. Her long braids had been tied back and piled atop her head, and she wore the loose pants, shirt, and hooded robe of a caravan drover a whip with a well-worn handle hung from her belt. The man was broad and muscular, wearing a sword and a warrior's leather and metal jerkin, his dreadlocks ornamented with copper rings. From the darkness of their skin, they might be the children of Zalfir and families left behind when Teferi had created the Time Rift, but so were many inhabitants of Femmeref. It didn't necessarily mean they had come here with an ancient family vendetta to kill him. The man smiled. This is Subila, and I am
3: Quinde.
2: You were expecting a visit from a man called
0: Maquette. Teferi kept his face polite, though he wasn't sure whether to be baffled or suspicious.
1: I'm sorry, you have the wrong Teferi. I wasn't expecting to see anyone named Maquette today, or any other day
0: subira lifted her brows clearly skeptical you weren't
1: no i wasn't
0: he leaned on his staff intrigued if this was the prelude to an assassination attempt it was at least unique
1: what is this about
3: maquette said he was coming to see you that that was the reason he was traveling here from sukata
0: i can't help what Maquette said teferi was beginning to think it wasn't an assassination attempt after all but An ordinary case of confused travelers misunderstanding one another.
2: You'll
1: have to look for him elsewhere.
2: We don't need to look for him
0: elsewhere. He's dead. Teferi stared at her. Now he was more intrigued and much warier. Would you tell me why you're here? She exchanged an opaque glance with Quende.
2: I need to find out what happened at my caravan. Maquette was killed in our camp, and he said he was coming here to see someone called Teferi.
0: This was all very odd. I swear to you that I didn't know this, Maquette. He knew he should walk away. Maybe even pack his few belongings and leave Sewa entirely. But his curiosity was piqued.
3: How was he killed? By magic. Or at least, that's what the caravan's physician believes. (laughs) Hmm. What sort of magic? We are not sure. None of us is image. Are you?
0: Subira still watched him like a predator hoping for prey to break cover. Teferi decided not to answer that question.
1: It sounds like you need a magistrate.
0: The
2: magistrates in this town look on the caravan drovers as scapegoats for every crime that happens while we're here. I don't want my people harassed. I want to find out who did this and turn the culprit over to the town judiciary myself.
0: Teferi could see her point.
1: I'm sorry. I don't know anything about this man, Maquette.
0: And if he was sensible, he would leave it at that. But he had never been sensible, especially when a mystery was concerned. And if this Maquette had really been coming to see him, he should find out why. Why did the physician think that it was magic that killed him?
3: Because it's been two days and his body is not showing any sign of rot. I know the obvious solution is that he's still alive, but he's not breathing and he's cold as a stone.
1: This becomes more curious by the
0: moment. Perhaps I could take a look. Subira's brows lowered. Such an expression of deep suspicion tinged with irony shouldn't make her more beautiful, but somehow it did. So,
2: you are a mage, then.
0: Quende studied him intently. That still wasn't a question he wanted to answer.
1: I'm a scholar. I know about many things. And you don't seem to have any other options unless you want to ask the magistrates for help?
2: A good point. Well, come on then.
0: Teferi followed Sabira and Quende to the outskirts of the town, past the stables and cheaper hostels then outside the walls to the rocky flats where the caravan's tents and wagons stood. Other travelers, mostly groups of pilgrims too poor to afford lodging in Sewa, had clustered close to the caravan camp for safety. The bluffs that sheltered the town from the worst of the desert winds gave some protection to the flats, but it was not a place where anyone would want to spend much time. How well did you know Maquette?
2: Not well. This was the first time he traveled on my
0: caravan. Quende knew him better.
3: We had traveled together for a time before we joined up with the caravan to come here.
0: Teferi had assumed Quende and Subira owned the caravan together, and felt a jolt of relief that they were apparently recent acquaintances. Then he shook his head at himself. Idiot. He had no business of thinking of potential romantic attachments. Not now. And perhaps not for years yet, Until people forgot he had ever existed. That was a depressing thought, even for someone on his way to look at a dead man. He sighed deeply, and Subira threw him a quizzical look. She led the way through the camp to a tent that stood some distance away and was guarded by several caravan drovers.
2: We moved the body out here.
3: The other passengers insisted on it, afraid whatever he died of was catching.
1: It's a wise precaution. There are death spells intended to be spread to anyone who touches the victim.
0: Startled, Subira paused, holding up the tent flap. Really?
1: The physician who examined
3: him has come to no harm. Well, not
0: yet. Teferi ducked inside the tent. The dead man lay on a carpet, covered by a cloth, and Teferi pulled it aside. Teferi had wondered if the physician was wrong, if the man was actually alive and in the grip of some strange but natural paralysis, maybe even some poison that could appear to lower the temperature of the body and disguise any sign of life. But as Teferi checked the man's eyes and pulse, he saw that wasn't the case. He saw something else, too.
1: You and your physician were right. This isn't a natural death.
2: So, do you know him?
1: No, I've never seen him before. Someone has performed a spell or used a poison on your poor maquette to not only steal the life from his body, but to suspend and preserve it. It's done in such a way as
0: to make it look like time magic. He pushed to his feet. Subira's eyes narrowed, and Quende's expression held a certain wary tension.
1: Was it... If this was time magic, he would be suspended and seem to not move or breathe, but he would be alive, his body would still be warm, and when released he would go on his way as if it never happened. Time magic also takes effort to maintain, and can't be held indefinitely. So if I was going to kill a man, I certainly wouldn't use time magic, at least not in that way. I know you think I did this, that's why you came looking for me.
0: Subira glanced at Quende, who was still watching Teferi like a man prepared to defend himself at any moment.
2: Did you kill him?
0: Luckily
1: for our burgeoning friendship, I did
0: not. Quende relaxed a little, no longer expecting an attack. Subira's gaze was thoughtful, and it was hard to tell if she believed Teferi's denial or not.
2: Maquette told Quende you were a Time Mage. I wasn't sure I believed him.
3: Neither was I but it seemed to explain this.
0: Teferi looked down at Maquette again, frowning. Someone who knew who Teferi was had obviously sent Maquette on this journey, but then what was the point of killing him before he completed it?
1: Was Maquette collateral damage or was the plot aimed at both of us? Hmm.
2: Is that all you've got to say?
1: I always have plenty to say, and it's one of my faults. Did he tell you why he wanted to see me? No, and I didn't ask.
0: He was still skeptical, though something in his bearing made Teferi think that while he certainly believed that Teferi was a powerful time mage, he didn't believe Teferi had killed Maquette.
3: It was none of my business, and I had no idea it would become important later. Did you search his belongings?
0: Not yet. Subira turned to lift the tent flap and gestured to one of the drovers.
2: Akime, go and bring Maquette's baggage, please.
3: I'll get it.
0: It's in my tent. Quende ducked out. Thank you! She turned back to Teferi, and they contemplated each other in silence.
2: I was certain you were the culprit, so there was no need to look for clues. Like a character in a story.
1: And now you know I'm not the culprit.
2: Let's say I'm open to other theories.
1: What other theories would those be?
0: Teferi was honestly curious. At the hostel, Subir had seemed more aggressively suspicious than Quende but she clearly had an open mind. Maybe Quende had been just as suspicious, but better at hiding his real feelings. Subira folded her arms, studying him.
2: That Maquette was sent here to kill you.
0: That was far too close to the theory that Teferi was inclined toward. He hesitated, not sure what to say. There wasn't much reason for anyone to kill the Pilgrim Scholar of Zalfir that Teferi had been pretending to be for the past several years, even if he was a time mage.
2: I think you're not just a Teferi, but the Teferi.
0: They eyed each other for a long moment. Subira didn't seem appalled by the idea that she was facing the destroyer of Zalfir, but it was hard to tell.
1: If I am that Teferi, let's say that something being sent to kill me is not an unusual occurrence.
2: But would they send only one assassin? I think you're far more dangerous than that.
0: Teferi kept his smile light. As much as he wanted to see it as flirting, he knew she was too straightforward for that and was simply speaking her mind. Your confidence in me is gratifying. I know a dangerous man when I see one. She knew he was dangerous, but she hadn't expressed any contempt or dismay. It doesn't bother you, knowing who I am? Subira shrugged.
2: My family were always travelers. None were in Zalphir when it left. I was never raised to think of Zalfir as a birthright that was stolen from me. I've also read about what the Phyrexian invasion was like and seen the… remnants. I can understand why you did it. They say you don't have the power to bring it back. That must be…
0: hard." Her simple acceptance of those facts made the knot of guilt in his heart loosen.
1: When I created the Zalfia Rift, I was so certain I was right. That I was saving my home from a horror that would utterly destroy it. Now I question my decision every day, but I have no power to change what I
0: did. It was surprisingly easy to make the painful admission. He met her calm gaze and felt no urge to look away. This was the first time he had had an honest conversation with anyone in years and it was almost making him dizzy. Sabira nodded, accepting his confidence without comment.
2: So we know you have enemies. But if Maquette was coming here to kill you, then who killed him?
0: A good question. Teferi paced the tent, trying to concentrate on the problem at hand.
1: Perhaps Maquette discovers a plan to kill me. He travels here to warn me, but the mage behind the plan kills him and makes it appear that I did it. Then you go to the Magistrate, I'm accused of a crime.
2: And you meekly go into custody until you can prove your innocence.
1: No, I wouldn't let them arrest me. Being confined in a cell is not something-
0: Teferi decided not to finish that thought. It wasn't the same as being trapped in a time bubble, but it wasn't something he wanted to experience again. He would never let himself be imprisoned, and anyone who tried it would find out just how dangerous he was.
2: But the plan didn't work. It makes me wonder what whoever did this is thinking now, or doing now.
0: Subira! Subira shoved the canvas aside and ran out. Teferi ducked out after her and stopped in his tracks. Uh Uh-oh. Rolling toward them out of the desert flats was a sandstorm. The wall of sand and dust loomed so large it was like a giant ocean wave, or an avalanche of rock tumbling off a mountain. It would hit the caravan with the same impact. Sewa, partially protected by the bluffs and its stone walls, would probably survive. What the storm would do to anyone caught outside, and the livestock and gardens and fields and everything needed to survive the next season, was a nightmare. Teferi strode toward where Sabira and the drovers stood frozen in horror. It was too late to run, though from the shouts and screams from the tents and wagons, some were attempting it.
2: What is that? An illusion?
0: No, it's real. Teferi could feel it in the air. With a weight and electricity, an illusion could never duplicate.
2: But not a coincidence.
1: A powerful mage could raise this out of nothing. A not-so-powerful but knowledgeable mage could raise it with several different spells over a period of days, nudging various winds and air pressure systems. It's a complicated process.
2: Which you can explain later, if we survive. Can you stop its time? Make it freeze.
1: It was
0: too large to diffuse.
1: No, I'm gonna have to think of something else.
0: He had already thought of something else, he just didn't know if he could make it work. He strode forward, away from the others, to the edge of the shelf of rock. He lifted his staff to give himself an anchor and hoped he had estimated the distance correctly. He cast the spell to stop time for a bubble of air ten feet in front of him. Inside the bubble, drifting dust motes froze in place. Gathering every scrap of power he still had, Teferi stretched the bubble and made it longer, wider, higher, extending it seaward toward the bluffs that formed a natural windbreak for the town, and outward to shield the caravan grounds, then up as high as he could stretch it. He made sure to keep it at an angle, using the sharp edges of the rock shelves as a guide. Logic said this should work, Teferi just hoped logic was right. An instant later, the leading edge of the storm struck the time bubble and slid sideways along it, out toward the open desert. The wind howled in confusion, and sand blasted against the bubble. Teferi held it as long as he could, and then longer, darkness creeping in on the edges of his vision. The sheer effort made his body feel as light as Gossamer, as if his feet floated above the ground. He wasn't sure if that was really happening or if it was what fainting felt like. He thought it might actually be a faint. And then he hit the ground, and the bubble collapsed. Teferi braced himself for an unpleasant death. Being skinned and scraped raw by sand was not a good end to his life as an aging, former, planeswalking immortal but the wind that flowed over him was no stronger than a normal, harsh desert wind, and the sand it carried was abrasive, but not fatally so. It died away to fitful, dust-filled gusts. Subira leaned over him, shook his shoulder. Are you all right? Teferi took a breath to answer and choked on sand. Subira hauled him up into a sitting position and pounded him on the back until he could breathe. He wiped watering eyes and lifted his head to see the caravan grounds still intact, though tents, wagons, and agitated animals were covered with a layer of dust. People staggered around, coughing and flailing, and those who had fled slowly returned, clearly amazed at their survival. The town looked in better shape, where confused inhabitants gathered on the rooftops and in the windows and doorways of the houses built back against the cliffs. As Subira helped Teferi to his feet, her drover Akime ran to help. As they reached the tent, another drover ran up. They're coming from the town. A crowd of magistrates. They say someone here brought the storm. Who brought the storm? Just tell me! Him. Teferi.
2: That's a lie. It was Tifiri who saved us. We saw him with our own eyes. Why call a storm only to half-kill himself stopping it?
0: Subira looked toward the town gate, where the approaching crowd was just visible.
2: This is the work of whoever is trying to kill you.
0: She turned toward the drovers.
2: Who went to town? Who brought these people? No one. We've all been here. Only Quende. He went to arrange for Maquette's body to be taken away. Quende? Oh, for the love of-
1: Kwende! Quende. Who told you Maquette came here to look for me? Who said Maquette told him I was a time mage?
0: It was clear as glass now. Maquette had probably been an innocent victim, a pilgrim traveling here who Quende had befriended as part of his plot. Once Teferi had been taken by the magistrates and their mages, the sandstorm would have already destroyed the evidence in the caravan camp and the witnesses who might have contradicted whatever story Quende meant to tell. Subira swore an angry realization.
2: I've been a fool! He's lied to me all along!
0: She turned to Teferi. Freeze time
2: and run! I
0: can't.
1: Not
2: now.
0: Teferi was too exhausted to freeze more than a cloud of angry gnats. He had to recover before he could use his power again. Then hide! Teferi hesitated. Running away felt like... Well, running away. But... "'Hurry, you idiot!' "'So Teferi ran. "'He dodged through the tents, "'keeping the bulk of the wagons and the camel pens "'between himself and the group of magistrates. "'He headed toward the rocky hills "'at the far end of Sewa's Wall. "'He would have to hide until nightfall, "'then find some way to get provisions before he left. "'The sword swing came out of nowhere, "'and Teferi flung himself sideways. "'He hit the ground and rolled.' Quende leapt out from between the tents. He moved so fast he was like a blur. Teferi flung up a hand and accelerated time around the sword blade that drove down toward his chest. As it struck him, it shattered into pieces. The steel rusted through. Quende staggered, overbalanced, and Teferi scrambled away. He grabbed his fallen staff and managed to shove himself upright. Quende recovered and drew two long knives, their blades gleaming with crystal. Teferi held his staff out like a man about to cast a devastating time spell, but he knew he had maybe one or two minor efforts left in him before he collapsed entirely. Why are you doing
1: this? It was the only way to get to you,
3: traitor, destroyer.
0: Quende surged forward. Teferi managed to slow time a little, so Quende's blindingly fast assault turned into a slow, menacing pace. Teferi backed away.
1: You brought the storm.
0: Quende's grin was more like a grimace as he fought Teferi's waning power.
3: I hired a mage to make the spells that stirred the winds, and to make the death magic poison, so Maquette would look as if he had been killed by a time mage.
0: Who are you? If he was going to die, he wanted to know why.
3: My ancestor was Mageta the Lion. He was in Kipamu when you
0: destroyed it. Teferi's heart sank. He shook his head.
1: The general. It wasn't destroyed. Liar!
0: Quende's muscles bulged as he fought the time spell, and Teferi knew he couldn't hold on much longer. Then a whip cracked, wrapped around Quende's arm, and jerked him aside. Subira stood with Akime and her other drovers behind her, all armed.
2: Leave him alone, Quende. He didn't kill Maquette, and he didn't raise the storm. You did that.
3: You are the murderer. Because he was too powerful to kill, I had to weaken him first. You don't understand.
2: Weaken him and kill half the town and everyone in my caravan camp to do it? And what about Maquette? Your precious Magetta would be proud of that, would he? We've traveled together, Quende, and I know this isn't worthy of you.
3: Maquette was a thief and a murderer. I would never kill an innocent.
2: But you were willing to sacrifice everyone in the caravan camp to trap Teferi.
3: I knew he would turn the storm and save
2: them. You knew he would save them? But you still want to kill him!
3: He is the destroyer of Zalfir! I've been told my whole life that my blood must have vengeance on his!
0: Teferi grimaced. Quende had been raised on retribution and blood feud for Zalfir, for the loss of people he had never known, a place he had never seen. He thought killing Teferi was his only way to freedom from that suffocating legacy.
1: Zalfir is not destroyed. Go to the beach with the other pilgrims and look at it. It's still there. And if I could return it, I'd give my life to do it right this instant. But my life isn't enough. I don't have the power anymore. It's impossible.
2: Subira, the magistrates are coming. We need to go. Get my wagon. I'll go ahead with the ferry and meet you at our next
0: stop.
3: No, I won't let you take him away. I've waited too
0: long. Subira dropped her whip and strode forward until she stood almost chest to chest with Quende.
2: Then kill me. That's the only way you'll stop me. You're either a murderer or you're not, Quende
0: choose subira he was terrified quende would drive his knife into her heart and teferi hadn't the power to stop him don't
1: don't risk yourself quende please don't
0: kill her she ignored him quende stared at her as the moment stretched and then he slowly stepped back he backed away and the drovers moved to get between him and subira Akime drove up with Subira's wagon. Quende stood there as Subira shoved Teferi up onto the driver's box, and she climbed up to take the reins from Akime.
2: Why are you
3: doing this for him?
2: I'm doing it for the both of you, you idiot. Now go away and do something worthwhile.
0: Akime jumped down as the wagon rolled away. You could have been killed. He trembled with exhaustion. His powers depleted.
2: You're welcome. The least you can do is come with my caravan and keep the thieves and raiders and other threats off us. A time mage should be good at that.
0: Teferi slumped back against the seat, giving the thought serious consideration. It was tempting. If he had to keep wandering, it would be good to do it with company. Company who he wouldn't have to lie to about who he really was.
1: For a while, I'm not one to settle down. Nyambi, be careful!
0: Nyambi was running in the court again, chasing the dragonflies that clustered around the lilies in the fountain pond. The big house under the acacia trees was spacious and comfortable, but old, and the flagstones paving the court were uneven. The cracks were just the right shape to catch unwary little feet. A few years ago, Subira had found someone else to run her caravan, and she had settled down with Teferi in this town near one of their old routes. Long enough to have Nyambi. She had gone back to her caravan now, visiting regularly as Teferi raised their daughter. Nyambi bolted for the fountain, but her sandal caught on a loose stone and she started to fall. Teferi cast the spell out of pure instinct, and Nyambi froze in midair. Teferi froze for an instant, too, startled at himself. He obviously hadn't lost any of his fighting reflexes, even after so long without using his magic. He stepped forward and circled Nyambi, carefully examining her angle and trajectory, making sure there wasn't anything sharp or hard in her path. When he let her fall, she would land on the grass, possibly get a bruise or two, and hopefully learn a lesson about running in her sandals on the court's uneven flagstones. There was no other choice, really. But he thought how once there had been a choice, between Zalfir's devastation and removing it from the world, preserving it and trapping it. Thinking of Niambi preserved and trapped like a bone in amber turned his stomach. He couldn't keep her safe at the cost of her freedom and growth. It seemed obvious. It hadn't been obvious with Zalfir, when there was no guarantee that anything of Zalfir would have survived the Phyrexians. But so much of Dominaria had survived, if not intact, then with enough of itself left to grow anew and evolve. Teferi let his breath out. He had known for a long time that if he could return Zalfir, he would do it. But no amount of soul-searching would give him that power.
1: But But some some other other sort of searching searching
0: might. Urza had certainly created powerful artifacts that might help. It was worth looking into. But for now, he decided a compromise was best. He stepped around in front of Nyambi and released the spell. As time moved around her again, she landed in her father's arms and laughed with delight. Thank you for listening to this production of Voice of All. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you not just for the voices of the characters, but also to keep us going and growing. If you enjoyed what you heard, please support us by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, or following us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, or just plain sharing with your friends. You can also support us financially on Patreon for exclusive perks. Return to Dominaria was written by Martha Wells. The podcast was produced and edited by Gin Dokeshi, with sound editing by Grace Noir. This week's story featured the voice talents of Antti Rivet, Michael Lanier, Mithrilda, Corbin Condon, Sarah Shepard, and Ben Lyon. Voice of All is unofficial fan content, permitted under the Wizards of the Coast Fan Content Policy. Magic Gathering is copyright, Wizards of the Coast. Thanks so much for listening. You'll have a fantastic day.